Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to my podcast number 470, Stage 5, Combining Play Actions with Familiar Routines from Stages of Play for Toddlers and Preschoolers with Language Delays, brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk, where we're the largest provider of ASHA CEUs for early intervention. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a while, and I'm glad that we're getting back to the podcast. I've been sick for weeks and weeks, but we're going to try to get through this one today, and again, I'm so happy that you've joined me. Now, if this is your first time, welcome, and let me explain what we're doing. All of my podcasts are actually continuing education courses for therapists, but as a parent or another kind of uh, uh, interested party in a toddler with a language delay, you are so welcome to watch this show too. Each podcast is about an hour. Today, we're going to run a little long, closer to an hour and a half. If that's too long for you, feel free to come back and watch in chunks because I know you're going to want the information that we'll be reviewing today. Now, if you are new, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, and we would so appreciate your support uh, by doing that. Now, for therapists, I'm including the link below to purchase CE credit for this course. Uh, this fee includes the CE credit and the handout or the show notes. If you are a parent or, again, another professional who doesn't need the CE credit, you are still more than welcome to get the handout or the show notes from today's course. Um, and I know that uh, that's going to really, really help you as you are working with children because you can duplicate this information and provide it to other people who are helping you and other people on your child's team. All right, today we're, we are all the way up to stage five in our stages uh, of play for language delayed toddlers and preschoolers. And we are going to be looking specifically at combining play actions with familiar routines. And as I said before, all of this information is on the handout. So be sure to get that and follow along if you've already done that. We are all the way up to, again, the fifth stage. And remember, this is loosely based on Dr. Carol Westby's symbolic play scale, although I've expanded it to include some other areas beyond just that symbolic or pretending piece. We're also looking at the cognitive pieces and a little bit of fine motor uh, information for children who are in this stage. And we'll be talking about that, particularly as we do the toy review at the very end of this course. Now, this stage encompasses babies when we are looking at typical uh, language development who were in that 19 to 24 month period. So they're at about one and a half, that period just before they turn two. Now remember that's for a child with typically developing uh, language skills. Our friends with language delays may be older and we may even have some preschoolers with more significant developmental delays who are still in this range. So let's summarize what's going on in this stage. There are two big developments for play skills that happen here. And the first one is so, so important. It's the ability to combine and join play routines. So remember that in each stage of uh, stages of play that we've reviewed until now, and remember we started way back at show 465 and we're up to uh, show 470. So this is our sixth show in this series. We looked at what would be the next step because it's with this, with play, just like every other developmental skill, there's a continuum and each stage builds upon uh, the skills that a child acquired in the previous stage. So here in stage five, we really see that because a child begins to combine play routines that he learned back in stage three 
when he was beginning functional play, so just beginning to say take a, a ball and know that that's for rolling or take blocks and know that he can stack those and he can build things ra- or knock them down rather than just mouthing those things or, or uh, throwing those things. And again, play became much more purposeful. So we saw that back in stage three. And then in stage four, children bumped it up a little bit more when they began to really uh, even use things beyond the functional everyday familiar things. They begin to use tools or something uh, specifically. They can use one object to accomplish another goal. And so another thing that happened in stage four is that they began to experiment with very early pretending. And so again, they in stage three, they took a very familiar object and looked at, you know, how is this used? And that, that has advanced now to where they are pretending with those things. Now, the second big development is an extension of early pretending. And remember we said back in stage four that a child began to use those objects on himself to pretend. Well, now in stage five, a child begins to do activities uh, done by familiar people. So that would be his parents. So like back in stage four, a child pretended that he was eating or pretended that he was sleeping or pretended that he was taking a bath. And again, all of those little early pretend activities happened on himself. Well, now what a child does is he takes those same kinds of activities or or those or let, let me say it a different way the things that he's pretending are things that he actually does things that he participates in in his everyday routines now he's extending that circle so that he not only pretends things that those everyday events that he does he extends it to what he sees very familiar people do so primarily his parents or his siblings and so now he pre- pretends to do things like cook or take care of a baby doll, or even something like shaving or cutting the grass. Uh, And so that's the next extension. One example that we gave back uh, when this really started in the previous stage in stage four is that he started to do early housework activities. And in stage four, a child might have really focused on the mechanics of that. So meaning that if a little girl was going to pretend that she's dusting or washing something she sees her mother do, she might have been so focused on, again, getting the mechanics right with that, with I take the cloth and you see a lot of rub, 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 rub. Now she sort of begins to take on the role that, oh, I'm doing this as I play that I'm the mommy or I pretend that I'm the mommy or do these things. And again, it's just as complex as say a four-year-old or a five-year-old would do it. No, a toddler is still in the very earliest phases of that. But you can see those little wheels start to turn and that they do become, again, more symbolic and are able to begin to actually pretend. Now, with all this bump up in activity, a child still needs really lifelike, realistic props to be able to accomplish it. They're not completely symbolic yet, although we will begin to see hints of that as a child uh, gets toward the end of this stage they are about to turn two or about to, and again, for our older little friends who are language delayed or who also have other kinds of developmental delays, they, again, when they uh, get to this point, uh, they will start to become symbolic as they enter that next stage. But here, they still really need the props or, or something that looks like uh, that they could use it for that. But toward the end of this stage, they start to pretend. And we'll talk about that more. Right now, I'm kind of a let me, well, let me just give you 
one example. It would be that a child might pick up anything that looks like a remote control and point it toward a screen like he is changing uh, the channel or, or flip, you know, scrolling, say, on YouTube if he watches a lot of videos that way. He'll start to pretend that way, but he still needed something that made him think, oh, this is what I can do with that. And we'll, we'll start to see this advance toward the end of the stage. All right, one more important development that happens here during stage five is that a child begins to perform those pretend activities, not just on himself, like we said back in stage four, that if there were things like that even it is used in stage three a cup or a hairbrush or there's a pretend baby doll toothbrush he starts to use that on himself you know back at uh, in the previous stage and now here at stage five he starts to take that activity and then he wants to use it on somebody else so primarily you as the parent or you as the therapist or another adult who's playing with the child but he also after he begins to experiment with that on a person he can even extend that on to a kid characters like baby dolls or stuffed animals and that's a really important step that we see start to happen in play skills as children near that 24 month developmental level so as a therapist we can help this along so if we see that a child's primary play a pretend play recipient has been himself he can only do that those kinds of things on him you'll start to uh, provide those opportunities so that he can perform those activities on you or teach mom how to do that or an older sibling or again whoever's working with that child or another child that you are using there although other children aren't quite as involved yet and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute but we'll discuss that at length in the next section so that you'll know therapeutically how we can move a child along uh, if he's in the beginning stage of this play but we don't see much development actually moving all right so because of a child's combinations that we see in play uh, and we're talking about again this uh, combining play actions and familiar routines back in stage four he just did primarily one thing so if his play routine was okay i'm going to take a drink from the cup well that was pretty much it here in stage five you see a child okay he's going to take a drink from the cup and then he's going to give you a drink from the cup or let's say he might uh, pretend that he's going to pour something in the cup and then drink it so you'll see that he's able to do two things together in stage four he might might have stirred uh, his primary activity might have been stirring in a bowl with a spoon now he can stir in a bowl with a spoon and and he, you see he takes a while with that and then he's going to go ahead and eat it or again sequence those activities more readily so that combination is what we're seeing here in stage five so Let's talk about how important that is and how connected that is with language development. Now, if you are a therapist and watching this, you already know what I'm going to say. Now he's able to also join words, and he was able to do that back in stage four. But now here in stage five, we see those that ability to join uh, be a primary uh occurrence here in his language development. What do I mean by that? Phrase, phrases emerged in the last period, but now he's using phrases frequently. It's his um, kind of most, you, you hear single, heard single words as the primary language structure back in stage four. Now he's bumped up. So that mean length of utterance, that MLU, which is an SLP term that just means we average all the all the utterances that a child uh, makes, how many single words, how many phrases, how many things that kind of get 
extra credit if there's an extra unit of meaning in there so here at stage five children really bump up to all that 1.5 to 2.0 uh, mean length of utterance so you'll hear them say lots of things uh, lots of phrases mommy eat truck go my shoe bye bye daddy just a big variety with their phrase combinations and so let's talk about this connection between play and language here and so again we're seeing combinations as the prevalent skill not only in play in stage five but also in language and so here's something that I learned from Carol Westby's work and again her initial work with this was uh, you know 20 years ago and it had it just stuck with me and it became a primary thing that I just started to observe in child after child after child that I worked with and for children who could not combine in their play routines guess what was happening in their language they weren't really making a a lot of phrases or word combinations in their language development either. So let that sink in for a little bit if you've never thought about that before. And I'll repeat it here for in for emphasis for you. When a child doesn't know how to combine play routines, he's not going to be able to spontaneously combine words or use self-generated phrases. So let's just talk about that. For some of you, you're probably having kind of a light bulb moment. You're thinking, well, no wonder my child can't get to phrases. No wonder I'm still seeing a lot of or hearing a lot of single words here because when I think about his play he doesn't really join ideas together in play he's not really uh, having longer sequences of play where he's doing more than one thing and so this is a super super important concept for you as a parent or for you as a therapist working with a child with language delays when we see that a child can't get to phrases this is something that we should look at in his play and more importantly something we should help him learn how to do in play so that he possesses that ability to be able to combine two ideas even if he's doing it non-verbally first and so how do we know that a child isn't combining in play start to look at him my classic example that I give of this is just a child who seems kind of stuck when you give him a toy like let's just say a tractor and you've got the tractor there and you've got the trailer there and say some animals but what is that child who is still at the single action uh, back in stage four stage three and stage four that we've talked about what does he do he doesn't want anything to do with that you put the daddy in the tractor and he takes that daddy out and all he wants to do is roll the tractor back and forth he may even lay down flat on his stomach <laughs> so that he can really focus on those wheels while they're spinning and really do that and so then you think okay I'm going to help him I'm going to attach the trailer to the tractor and show him how to combine and he gets furious and rips that trailer off he doesn't want anything to do with that he is back rolling that tractor and kind of stuck looking at those wheels and so again that's when we know oh my goodness no wonder we can't get really very far with with word combinations or with phrases because this child really does not have the ability to join two ideas together yet and so we're not going to get there with language until we help him do it cognitively and the best way to do that is by teaching him how to play and help him really make that cognitive leap so that he can join and combine ideas all right so we talked about this when I said that phrase he's not going to be able to spontaneously combine words or self-generate phrases so what do I mean by self-generated phrases let's talk about that for a minute or two 
Now, self-generated phrases are those that a child combines on his own, meaning he's not hearing something that you said and then imitating that, or he's not using a holistic phrase or a phrase that he's learned all together. So let's talk about some examples of that. Some things that parents or uh, inexperienced therapists might count as a phrase, might be words like thank you or all done or even something or, or let's just keep it at that. Something like, thank you, we're all done. That's really one idea, right? And so we can't give a child credit, per se, for that being a spontaneously generated or self-generated spontaneous combination of a two-word phrase, right? Because when you when you say thank you comes right after that, he's learned that is what? A one whole word, and we call that a holistic phrase. And so therapists, you better not be counting those th- those kinds of phrases as two-word combinations or, or, or true two-word combinations. I mean they technically are, but they represent one idea. So something even like I did it or I got it or where'd it go? A lot of kids learn those as one, you know, again, holistic phrase. Now our little friends who are uh, gestalt language learners really do that. They process in chunks and then they begin to speak in chunks. So a lot of times when we hear kids that are, even kids that are echolalic or kids that are scripting, so they're using phrases, but we can't really give them, again, credit for that because those are not self-generated. They've just lifted those entire phrases that they've heard someone else produce. So like to infinity and beyond, you know, kind of a classic little echolalic phrase that we hear lots of our little toddler and preschooler friends use who are still scripting. Uh, Those, again, are not truly self-generated phrases. And again, that's not to say that it's bad for a child to be a gestalt language learner versus an analytic language learner. And gestalt language learners, again, they process and they begin to speak in those phrases. And you hear a lot of that before you're going to hear a lot of single words. Analytic language learners are the opposite. We kind of think about this as the traditional way to learn language where kids learn one unit of a, of a meaning at a time, meaning cup is one unit of meaning, ball, mommy, those, those kinds of words, whereas a gestalt language learner might learn, it's the cup, there's the ball, uh, where mommy go, those kinds of things. It's all kind of in phrases. And so, again, frankly, all kids learn some phrases like that, but we want to be sure that we understand that difference so that we're not giving a child, again, more credit. And I hate to say credit. I'm not trying to say, uh, again, use that. That's just the best kind of uh, example that I can come up with or a word that I can come up with that. We have to understand as professionals or parents really analyzing a child's language style here, which way does he learn so that we can direct uh, that language learning so that that happens a little faster. Uh, And we want, again, to know the difference when a child is self-generating phrases versus when he is lifting those from an entire script. All right, and like we pointed out in the previous stages, older toddlers and even preschoolers with language delays are in this stage a lot of times when they're referred for therapy. And so what would a kid look like in this stage, in stage five, when you get him? And again, he's maybe much older than two, but he's right here. He's learning how to, he's learned how to imitate some 
phrases maybe or even using some holistic phrases but he's not really combining those on his own a lot yet or with play he's using a lot of different one step play routines but he's just not quite there with those combinations so that's what we want to do here in this stage is really help a child get him over the hump and so uh, they may still be playing with basic to toys really really well like uh, stacking rings and shapes orders and blocks all of that early constructive play and they developed an interest maybe in using some familiar objects like back in stage three but again they haven't really put all that together yet they're not combining it yet and so it's important that we know what stage child is in so that we can, we can meet a child where he is strengthen those skills and then bump him up to the next level so for stage five like we've done for every other stage in this podcast series let's do our systematic review and again we're going to start with this information on our handout so get your handout if you haven't done that yet so that we can begin to look at this and let's just go ahead and move to that information now so let's look at the play skills in stage five and again remember all of this is based on dr westby's work so what are our themes well our themes here is the child does activities or really his play represents presents activities now, not only done by himself in everyday routines, but those activities that are done by familiar people or those adults or siblings or maybe even his teachers at daycare. What kinds of things are they doing during the day that a child in this stage of play might want to imitate or might imitate? So cooking activities, cleaning activities. We saw that some back in stage four, but here in stage five, we really see that is that children, again, become more purposeful pretenders. It might be something that they uh, see daddy do, like shave or cut the grass. They might pretend that they are reading if their parents are prolific readers and they, they see their parents uh, doing that kind of activity they're going to sit and kind of pretend to do that too toward the end of this activity or end of this stage they may even do that activity uh, with their dolls or their characters you'll see that they'll try to read to a baby doll just like uh, their parent reads to them all right so those were the themes so activities that they see other people do during daily routines now here at stage five and again chronologically this would be that 19 to 24 month developmental level we see that their play is more organized children can use two related toys together and we'll see this a lot as they begin to combine those uh, familiar activities uh, that they see other people do now as we've already said play combinations are present so a child is doing more than one action or theme not only are they using uh, two toys together now they're also combining those actions in sequences so they are demonstrating short isolated combinations of pretend play with actions or toys and so the examples that dr westby gives in her work uh, are a child might rock a baby doll and then put it to bed or a child might pretend to pour from a pitcher you know he's got his cup there and he uh, you know right now here in stage five he still needs realistic props to do that but at, toward the end of stage five as he begins to move on into stage six in that 24 month to 30 month level you might see that a child doesn't have anything that he's uh, sees this kind of a natural way to pretend so he might grab something else and pretend that it's the pitcher and eventually even might pretend that he's pouring from his hand you know is the pitcher into the cup we're not quite there yet here in stage five 
25, they begin to become symbolic, but you'll more than often see that they still need a prop. Uh, again, a, a classic example is that a child uh, feeds a doll from a bowl with a spoon. So she's not just using, holding the baby doll and using the bottle anymore. She's actually introducing something else with that. Hey, I can add another object with that. Uh, children here, again, as we said, also begin to perform pretend actions on another recipient. So usually, we said back in stage four, they're just doing most of their pretending or their object use, and again, or, or pretending that they are doing things that they uh, always do in their daily routines. Now we're going to expand that. So now they see, let's say, a hairbrush as they're playing with a baby doll set. So now they not only brush their hair, but they start to brush your hair as an adult, or take it as step further and brush the baby doll's hair with that. And so the progression is always child, another adult, then a toy. So if you have a child that you've been working with forever and he just does not seem interested in moving on with that a pretend activities with another object, uh, like a doll or a stuffed animal or even something you may be trying with, say, his little preferred uh, his little toy preference, like if he's crazy about Thomas the Train, and I've done this with kids where you go so far as to think, my goodness, he hates brushing the baby doll's hair and giving the baby doll a drink. What if I get him to do it to Thomas? You know, will that make it easier for him and he just won't do it? Back it up and have him do those kinds of things with you because it really does usually progress. You know, the child does it, and then he does it on another person, and then cognitively he's ready to do it on another object. All right, let's look at some other play skills that we see, and I'm taking this information primarily from the Rossetti Infant uh, Toddler Language Scale. So children here between 19 and 24 months developmentally begin to group their objects in play, so they want to play with more than one car. That You see them get three or four cars as they want to play. Or again, with a baby doll, they just don't, it's not just about the baby doll anymore. They want several things to do with the baby doll. Another thing they do is they put toys away on request, and that's better if you use some routines for that. And we'll talk about some cleanup routines that you can use to make that easier as you play with toys when children aren't uh, naturally acquiring that next little uh, drive to do that on their own. Something else that children do in this stage is they attempt to repair broken toys. So they've had enough experience with playing with toys. Now they recognize when something's not working and they don't just discard it and move on to something else. They try to fix it. Another thing they try to do is get you to help them fix it. And so again, it's another really important developmental marker that you might not be looking for with children when you're looking at their play. And I've heard uh, other therapists that I've heard talk about play, other speakers say that something that they routinely do is include a broken toy uh, in an assessment kit that they might be using with children just to see what's he going to do with this. And again, why are we doing this? It's to really help us analyze where a child is so that again, we meet them where they are. And we're not giving them credit for things that they can't yet do and, and What's the problem with that? With thinking that a child is at a higher developmental level than he really is, then you don't go back and teach those foundational skills that are missing. And so you don't get in there. And so you have a kid that's just stuck or just plateaued, or you think, oh my goodness, this kid hasn't made progress in six or nine months. When he may have, he may genuinely be making that progress, but you didn't really find out and pinpoint directly where he was. And so you were giving him credit for things that were basically splinter skills 
and missing that he was um, uh, not doing some of those earlier kinds of things that he should have been doing had he truly been mastering that developmental progression. So we have to be real, real careful about that. All right, another thing that a child can do play-wise here is that they begin to stack and assemble toys and objects. And so our classic example here, we've seen them do it with blocks, we've seen them do it with kind of with shape sorters, but now they start to really be able to put together early pieces with more than one piece. And so we'll, or early puzzles, I'm sorry, with more than one piece. And so we'll see that nice progression of problem solving. So we'll talk about that in just a minute when we, when we get to the toy review. Remember that child's find mode skills are also really maturing between 19 and 24 months and so again we're going to see that nice progression and development with fine motor skills and so we need to use some toys that really help facilitate that development of skills as well and so a child an example of this a child has already been practicing with shapes order so now they begin to do again puzzles and puzzles with more than one piece and so we'll talk about this progression as we uh, talk about the toys all right let's review the social aspects of play and as I mentioned in the introduction, we're seeing nice changes with this also. So until now, back in stages one through four, children have primarily been engaged in solitary play, meaning that they are, are just about themselves and their attention is on themselves and what they are doing. And they will continue to have quite a bit of solitary play here, even in stage five, but now, well, let's say this, back in stage four, adults did start to emerge, but mostly as what? Helpers and cheerleaders. So they wanted you there and they liked that you were there, but it was mostly to help them if they couldn't do something or assist something or needed assistance with something. But now, what did we say that's happening with other people here in this stage? We said that that other person is now a recipient of the play action. So you're now just not expected to help them when they can't do something or, you know, clap and cheer for them as and say yay when they've done something great. But now they actually want to do things on you or to you in play too. And it's a really natural progression. And again, if you skip that step when you're working with a child and you've been trying to get him to pretend with dolls or characters and you haven't had much luck stop that and really have him do those kinds of things and include you as the other pretender there with him and you'll have a lot more success with that as far as other children go they're not playing with other kids yet but we are seeing parallel play and onlooker spectator play develop and we'll talk about that a little bit more as well in the next section now that that, that we've done that summary of play skills let's move on and look at the language skills for stage five. Let's look at the language skills in stage five. So what's our biggest thing here? Kids are talking and they are talking a lot and they're not just using single words. They are now using a lot of self-generated phrases and they're increasing not only the frequency of those phrases, so you're hearing phrases more and more often, but they're also increasing the variety with different phrase combinations. Kids are using a lot of two-word phrases, but they'll also begin here in this stage to imitate and use uh, some three-word phrases too. And remember that we, I think I misspoke earlier about their MLU. Their mean length of utterance here at stage five is actually 1.25 to 1.5 units of meaning. If you don't know what that means, I don't think I need to explain it to you. <laughs> 
<laughs> because it's probably going to be more technical than you need to be, but that's just for our SLPs here. All right, so let's talk about the increased variety of combinations. So that means that a child doesn't just use the same kind of phrase construction. It's not just whatever his little his little preferred pattern happens to be. A lot of times we think about that as noun verb. So mommy eats, mommy go, mom, you know, mommy bye-bye. Bye-bye wouldn't be a great example of a verb there, but mommy, you know, does something, some kind of verb. But here we're going to see, again, a lot of other uh, new kinds of constructions emerge. So we can see verb plus noun with something like throw ball. We can see a, a noun plus a noun like baby's shoe or mommy's hair. We can see a descriptor plus a noun. So that would be like an adjective plus a noun like red truck. Uh, we may also see uh, nouns used as indirect objects, something longer like give mom juice. So mom is the indirect object there. Something like an action uh, plus a location, so or, or an action plus a noun like jump couch, something like that. Or again, we already said possessives like daddy's cup. More language skills. A big thing that happens here with pragmatics or language function is that a child can now refer to things that are absent. So he doesn't just have to keep all kinds of uh, language that he uses or, or understands or processes in the here and now. Now he can talk, talk about things that aren't actually present, but that things that are very, very familiar to him. So kids begin to what? They begin to think using language here so that it's not again all right in front of them they can hold mental representations of things that are not present anymore so they also begin to request information with words with early questions and it may not it's not a wh question yet that happens after two but a question before two might be something like cookie like can i have another cookie or daddy go like where daddy go and so again you start to hear that and again they're requesting information not just requesting actions or that you do something for them they want to hear your words so they're they're again using those words to actually think and hold those ideas in their head and then require or acquire more information with words they're they're wanting you to use your words to tell them something that so that they can uh, know what they're asking you or know what they're trying to figure out. Other skills here, pronouns emerge. Now at the beginning or, or toward the end of this phase, by 24 months, kids are referring to themselves by name a lot in phrases. So, uh, you know, Emmy eat, Emmy go, Emmy baby, Emmy sock. And so they're putting their own names and again, using, the, using that in a lot of different constructions with different phrases there, but we'll also see early pronouns begin to emerge in this stage. And so in the next stage, we'll see in stage six with language, we'll see them start to substitute pronouns like I, uh, so instead of um, me eat, you know, I eat, and that, that kind of uh, phrase they'll use, but not yet. Here, by the end of this stage, we want them using their names again a lot, and sometimes we as therapists skip that. We work on pronouns a little bit too soon with children who are early language learners because we think, well, let's don't, let's just kind of skip that and get to where they're going because they're already older, but if we're really using a developmental approach here, that's a normal thing for kids to do, and so we want to be sure that we are recognizing 
recognizing that and that we're facilitating that, particularly if a kid isn't making that jump to a pronoun in phrases. Let's talk about vocabulary size. There is a large range of normal, and we spent a long time talking about that in this previous uh, show where we're in stage four. But here at stage five, by 24 months, they should at least be using 50 words and two-word phrases. And we said that with typical development, we, we usually see that by 18 months where they're starting, where they're using at least 50 words and using uh, lots of, or, or at least starting to use phrase combinations. And we want that firmly entrenched by 24 months. Typically developing 24-month-olds usually have a vocabulary of between 200 and 300 words by 24 months. And that's the kids right at that 50th percentile, which means that kids who are at that 75th percentile or 90th percentile, those kids are using a lot more words than that. So if you're a parent of a late talker and you're watching this and your kid is 30 months old and only using five words, do not panic. <laughs> I'm not sharing this information to make you feel worse about where your, your child is or worse about what the situation is. I only kind of want you to know it so that you understand what normal is so that when we're working toward that, we never take our foot off the gas pedal. <laughs> we are always pushing for more, 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 more because our problem with late talkers is it's not only that they're trying to catch up to where, where that marker was, the kids who are typically developing are beyond that too. And again, I'm not trying to be deficit focused here and have us only focus on that. I just kind of want us to know the ground that our little late talkers have to make up. And so that's what we're focused on is just pushing, pushing, pushing to get that next step and that natural progression of language development. So let's move on now and talk about activities and strategies, and you'll find this at the bottom of page one on your handout. So in stage five, what are our primary purposes? Our primary purpose is to help the child learn how to combine toys, so use two related toys together, and then also begin to use the familiar actions of other people, other familiar people for early pretending. The other things that they do are they begin to use toys on other people or objects. So again, the phrase that I've used here is that they use toys on another passive recipient. Uh, and because of that, adult modeling is still our very best activity or strategy here uh, for us to use. You know, wh what are the things we're supposed to be doing here at stage five? And we remember, what is adult modeling? What does that mean? It means that you will show a child how to use the toy. Or for our purposes at stage five, you show a child how to combine actions. You show a child how to use activities that he sees another familiar adult or a familiar person do here in stage five. And so remember, that's evidence-based practice. That's what research tells us is the very best strategy that we can do. Actually playing together with the child and teaching him how to do that next little play skill that we are trying to get him to acquire. So uh, we remember we show the child how to use the toy and we make sure that we are focused on combinations. And remember what we said about how to join this with our language teaching. If we have a child who's not using a lot of phrases and a lot of different phrases and that we start to notice, oh my goodness, he seems kind of stuck like this in his play. Our primary best thing that we can do is make sure that they're combining actions during play. And I'll be honest with you, when I have a child like this and I feel like he's just stuck, that's what we work on almost to the exclusion of language. You know, we're naturally going to layer language on there. We're naturally going to talk, you know, as we're joining 
ideas and joining toys in play. You know, we're naturally going to be using a lot of phrases for that. But my primary purpose here is to help a child cognitively or non-verbally or concretely begin to combine those things so that he can do that more abstractly. And that would be with words and, again, that language piece. And so we want to help him do it in real life with something he can actually see. He will join the tractor to the trailer. He will put the fireman in the fire truck. He will use the spoon to stir and then give the baby a bite. You know, we want to see that he's able to do these things and combine these ideas mentally and 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 literally with toys before we move on and make sure that he can do it language-wise. All right, another very helpful strategy here for children here for play, particularly for children who don't seem to be that interested in combining toys or children who just, again, there's some kind of missing step, and it's called deconstruction. Now, if you've read... Uh, my therapy manual, the autism workbook, I talk about this a lot because I have found this strategy to be the number one most successful thing that I've been able to do to help toddlers with autism really, really learn how to play with toys, especially when they don't seem to have any kind of interest in it. And lots of times is they're not, they're not interested yet because they don't understand how the toy works. So what we do with deconstruction is we help a child purposefully learn how to take the toy apart or start at the end when they're playing with the toy or do the last thing when they're playing rather than the first thing. And so let me give you some examples. Instead of putting uh, rings on a ring stacker, we help a child focus on taking the rings off. Instead of putting the pieces in a potato head that, that they're just not interested in, they just kind of don't get it, we would assemble the entire potato head first and then their action or what we do with them or their their part of that play would be pulling those pieces off. Now there's there's some better ways to do this. It usually works better if there's a finite end to this kind of activity. So you'll use something like a container. So and again let's use our example with the ring stacker. You've got the the rings right there. You take those rings off and put those rings into that container. And then eventually after a child gets really good at that, guess what he's going to start to do? Pretty naturally without much encouragement from you. He's going to start to then assemble the toy. And so we've gotten there. We just put that extra step in there for children who, again, are having difficulty, for whatever reason, learning how to play with a toy. And so we'll talk about this when we do our toy review in just a minute, and I'll show you specifically how to do it with a couple of different toys so that you'll see how well this works. So for our language strategies, let's look at what our uh, strategies will be here. Our number one thing when we are trying to get kids from single words to phrases is what? It's expansion. <laughs> it's so important. So what does expansion mean? And this is especially important for late talkers who, again, are not using the frequency uh, of phrases or even the variety of phrases that we would like for them uh, to be using yet. So expansion is imitating any single word that a child says. We add a related word and then we repeat that phrase to the child. And so our, our other thing that we can do is we, if we pick a familiar word that a child already uses as a single word, expansion is even more effective because then we're not teaching a new word and trying to kind of layering that level of complexity or something that a child can't do yet. We're taking what he already knows how to do and we're having him combine those, those words. So let me give you some examples. So let's say that you're playing with a ball with a little girl. And so when she says, you look at how she's using ball, what's the 
function that she's when she says ball what is she meaning is she meaning is she requesting so is she saying could you if when she's saying ball could you add want ball or I want ball or give me ball or something like that or ball please if she sees the ball and she's just labeling like ball you can say what there's a ball or it's a ball or see ball that kind of thing when she's throwing or playing or rolling the ball what could you say go ball or ball go and again you can experiment with oh does she do better if i put the verb first or the noun first you know, there's some finesse that you can do but at this point if your parent don't make it too hard and when we make it too hard what happens we don't do it so again your main strategy here using expansion is going to be taking what the child says looking at what the function of that noun is usually or whatever word that happens to be what is what is that child trying to say what would she say if she could add another word what would that be and so you put that word on there and then repeat that and encourage her to repeat that phrase and how do we encourage her to repeat the phrase we model 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 we say it and then we say you know after we've said go ball five or six times and she hasn't independently imitated that we might say you try you say go ball and give those more direct cues uh, specifically when we're teaching parents how to do expansion again the best way with parents is also what's the best way uh, for children and that's just with modeling and so what I do with that is really when I introduce a strategy like this and I'll say you know we're going to use what we call expansion to help a child help your child really start to be able to use more phrases so what i want you to do today during therapy i'm going to do it too but i want you to join in when you can do it every time she says a single word i want you to figure out what she meant when she's saying that and add that other word and then say that to her and let's see if we can get her to repeat that phrase and so that might be our entire focus and again i'm going to model that but i'm also really going to give the parent a lot of specific cues with that and so if they're sitting there and their child has said you know go and when they're playing with a car you, know, you jump in and model go car or go truck or go whatever but after you know several times if you've you know and then you hold back a little bit and if a parent doesn't say it you say you know I think we're missing opportunities here remember that thing with expansion let's let's see how you can do it because I really want this to be able to work for y'all when I'm not here so you try it and let's see and are those conversations hard to have as a therapist do you feel like I'm being pushy here or I'm, I'm really telling this parent what to do and you know read their body language if they obviously become more abrupt with that or you can sense that they bristle a little bit and they they don't really appreciate that direct cueing from them you might make it a little bit more subtle but you know sometimes that's that being uncomfortable and really just taking that next step that's what it takes to help a parent be as effective as they can be so don't be scared to kind of jump in and do that and I know sometimes a lot of as younger therapist you know when we're younger than the parents or we're the same age as the parents or you know it might even happen you know where there's an older parent you're a younger therapist and just that whole kind of dynamic there and you feel like oh I don't want to offend her and I don't want her to feel like I'm telling her what to do that's why they're there they're they're help they need your help and so be sure to just jump in right there and even if you're a little bit uncomfortable you might say to a parent oh I'm a little bit I don't want you to take this the wrong way and I, I can sense that you might be you know I might be stepping on your toes a little bit and that's not my intention I just I just want you to be the best that you can be in helping your child and I know this is going to work and so when you say those kinds of things it helps you feel a little bit more comfortable about it and a parent feel a little bit uh, maybe more receptive about it because you recognize and you've acknowledged that there's that little bit of 
tension there. And so you've addressed that with them. And so do it over and over and over this modeling with expansion. And again, encourage parents to do it too. You can even teach older siblings to do this. It's so important. And it's what's really, really going to help a child get to phrases. So let's talk about toys. What kinds of toys do we see here in stage five? And what are the things that we can purposefully introduce that will help a child really learn how to combine those familiar uh, play routines and play actions and familiar routines? So here what we need to be doing play-wise is focusing on things that they see or toys that they could use with, with, uh, that represent what they see other people do in addition to what the child currently does in familiar routines. For example, in the last stage, the new thing was that children began to pretend pretend to do things they naturally do. So they pretended they were eating. They pretended they were sleeping. They pretended they were taking a bath, all of those things. Now what do we say? That expands to, during play, they're going to now pretend to do what they see other people do. So I've already given you a lot of examples, but let's just review it one more time. So things like cooking, cleaning, reading, putting on makeup, shaving, cutting the grass, doing the dishes, you know, all of those kinds of things. And like I said before, many children with language delays and disorders get stuck just before this stage and they can't move beyond this. So this is a critical uh, stage for them. And so you might be thinking, Laura, how would I even know? Their language is stuck there too. So they're primarily using single words. They can't get over that hump for fully pretending and you're not hearing a ton of phrases. So again, our primary job here at stage five is teaching a child how to combine, not only combining during play, but also combining during language. So now we want to take a look at my best recommended toys here for stage five. And let's review our primary focuses one more time. We want to see toys that we can use for combining. We want to use very familiar objects that are appropriate for pretending things that they see other people do during everyday routines. And we also want to discuss that next step up for that fine motor maturation and for cognitive toys too. So let's start with those toys and take a look at some of those now. So let's begin by looking at some early puzzles. And by early puzzles, I mean puzzles with just a few pieces with these jumbo knobs, because this is gonna, again, make it easier for that fine motor development that we've been talking about. And here we're, we're talking about their, a child's ability to take that jumbo knob here and get the piece in the right place and get it, you know, in that inset puzzle. So we introduced puzzles way back in stage two. And remember, you know, all the way up here at stage five, let's just kind of talk about that progression. Back at stage two, we were just had those single puzzles that say that uh, the circle with the mirror in there and the kids, again, uh, they couldn't really always get the piece in by themselves, certainly couldn't. Here is the point where we're able to do that. But now we also were giving them some choices here it's not just a one uh, one component of the puzzle we have several pieces there remember now we said that a child is just now really uh, developmentally ready for this because it's just now able to combine and so we certainly see that too one thing that we also mentioned with puzzles is that puzzles are an extension of those earlier cognitive skills that we talked about. Kids started to master again way back in stage two. And so what were those four big skills? Just as a review, remember we said what? We had object permanence, meaning that a child knows that something exists, even if I can't see it. We had cause and effect, meaning I know that I can make something happen. If I 
push this button in this toy, the door's going to open, or if I push this button, I'm going to hear the music. They start to really understand that cause and effect. The third one was what? Means to an end. I can pull the string and the toy will come toward me, or uh, even more advanced, I can use something like a drumstick or a coat hanger. If my toy or my shoe is stuck under the couch, I can use something that tool used to kind of uh, you know, use one object to accomplish another uh, another purpose. So a means to an end. And then the fourth one was problem solving. And again, what does that mean? It just means I can't make this work. How can I make it work? And so that's what puzzles target, that simple problem solving. And so we see a nice advancement there from those earlier stages uh, with, again, not only cognitively, but with the child's fine motor skills. And so now the child can handle a little bit more. So I really love these Melissa and Doug puzzles, and I'm going to talk with you about how to use these puzzles, not only for uh, teaching play skills, but also our language skills. What kinds of things can we do? If you have seen any of my previous uh, videos or DVDs, I use a lot of two and a half gallon Ziploc bags in therapy because I think it just provides such a nice opportunity for children to be able to see what the next toy is, and I nearly always have my toys. You know, in the uh, already in the bag up for the beginning of an activity, and we again have a distinct uh, beginning, middle, and end with our toy activity, and it nearly always involves getting the toy out and beginning play that way. And so we might, you know, have them unzip the bag and use a verbal routine like zip, you know, as we're getting it out, and we're going to say open, whether we're using that, you know, again, with a sign or as a word, and so we're going to take the puzzle out, and we're going to say something like, look, it's a puzzle, wow, look at our puzzle, and so then we're going to put the puzzle down, and we're going to say something like, oh, I see the pieces, we need to get those pieces out, and put the pieces into our puzzle, and so you might, you know, I usually give kids a choice with that, you know, or say something like, you know, it's your turn, you know, who's going to do this, you know, you or me, and they're always going to want to do it, and so, you know, we let them have an opportunity to reach their little hands in and pick a piece, and we say, oh, wow, what you get? And so if they're at the point that they can label, and certainly here at stage five, we would want them spontaneously using words to name things. You know, we have a kid here, theoretically, who's at this uh, 19 to 24 month developmental language level, and so they're able to name some familiar things, and so they would name it. If you have a child who's not at this language level, what are some things you could do? You could get them to try to imitate the sound of the dog. So you would say, you know, what sound does that doggy make? What does he say? And so you might, you know, do woof, 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 or ha, 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 and have him imitate a pant. You could do that. And then after he's done kind of his language piece, then you're going to work on getting uh, the fine motor component, which is going to be him taking it and getting the piece into the puzzle. And so what do you do when they can't do it? You know, I usually try to show them if they, you know, if they're trying to do a lot of trial and error. And again, that's part of it here you know you want a child to learn how you know does it go right here you know you can do some things like no which kids think is hysterical you know just by you shaking your head and you know saying you know a real emphatic no no not there you know that kind of thing and a lot of kids will really pick up that verbal routine and even start to do that purposefully because they think they think that's hysterical that you've said that to them but again other things you could do is if they always have a hard time kind of finding the right spot cover up the choices that are not the correct spot that's something you could do with that you could certainly help guide a child's hands i do a lot of covering up and then a lot of here 
here it goes here and that's another tip too uh, for helping a child learn how to point you know that emphatic tapping a lot of children will start to do that and you'll see that point kind of emerge um other options that we talked about before for children who can't do these kinds of uh, puzzles yet children who don't seem interested in these puzzles what did we talk about we said that we could use a strategy called deconstruction and by that i mean that we're going to have the child uh, take apart the puzzle rather than putting it together so you can use something like a bag you could even use something <laughs> Uh, that we talked uh, like a plastic container and so again what's your goal here it's just to have the child deconstruct the puzzle and so instead of him getting the pieces in the right place you might put the put the pieces together even if he doesn't seem that interested in it go ahead and get them in real quick and then you'll say oh let's clean it up come on let's put them in where's the dog find the dog and then help them their goal here is to just deconstruct the puzzle get the pieces uh, out of the puzzle and again some children especially our little friends on the autism spectrum this is a highly effective strategy to introduce a new toy don't focus on on helping them assemble the puzzle or assemble the pieces work on the the deconstruction piece of that and having them take it apart so again you can do it with uh, your bag that you uh, have all your toys in anyway or you can have a separate container like we talked about which again makes it really really obvious uh, when a child is finished with that and getting finished with a play task for a kid like this is really important too you know they they are um, it's not very interesting to them they're not very motivated to do it so having a visual representation of when that task is finished can go a long way in getting some kids to do something they don't naturally want to do now what I wanted to show you with this is and I mentioned this with the ring stacker example before a natural thing that's going to happen is once you've had a child take this apart for several sessions or several weeks, guess what he's going to do? He's going to start reaching his hand back in the container and putting the puzzle together himself or doing the constructing piece or the construction piece, which is what you wanted him to do all along, but you've had to add that extra step. It's a super, super effective strategy. If you've never tried it, I hope that you'll give it a try. So let's talk about our language goals with the puzzle too. What are we always working on with language delayed toddlers? It's always what? What are we working on with any toddler? It's always vocabulary development. So we are always, even if a child is not a late talker, focused on teaching new words. And so if a child doesn't have a word, uh, with a, even with a, a, a play, routine like this that we're working on you know don't forget about linguistic mapping and so what does that mean that means that we are going to give a child the words that he needs to perform the activity so anytime we see that a late talker instead of sitting there and going what's that tell me that what's that you know ad nauseum when you know we can't do it you're driving that child away from you when you're doing that go ahead and tell him what the word is and again your goal then is what is to get a child to imitate what you said and so i wanted to be sure to talk about linguistic mapping with this too with puzzles one other thing that i want to mention is this is not only an expressive language activity or the talking piece we also need to target receptive language or helping a child understand what words mean now certainly by age uh, stage five here 19 to 24 months 
you know, with a simple puzzle like this, we would really probably naturally expect that a child would already understand uh, these words, already know what cat is and dog and bird. But this is an excellent opportunity for you to specifically focus on receptive language puzzles. And I told you that, you know, I do that with cleaning up. So we might think about expressive language kind of on the assembly part and receptive language on the, on the deconstruction part or on the cleanup part. And so this is a great great strategy to teach parents and say, you know, this is a great way too to work on following directions. So when you're ready to clean up an activity, have a child clean up those pieces one at a time. So you can say, oh, it's time to clean up. We've got to clean up the puzzle now. You find the bird. Where's the bird? And so you have them get the bird and clean that up, you know, or, you know, where's the cat? And so again, working on that receptive language. And that's a great, great time during cleanup to target those specific skills. Now let's talk about the obvious here for stage five. And as a special language pathologist, you may be thinking about this. Laura, you said that we were working on phrases, you know, at 19 to 24 months. That's phrase development is what we could be targeting. And you've just talked about single words, and that is certainly true. Here we can also target uh, phrases with puzzles, and certainly we always want to keep our language level at what we're what our goal is and what we're really working on. So we're not going to take a step back and just do a ton of single words when phrases should be our focus. Now, naturally, what's your phrase target that every person with a puzzle is going to naturally think about? Uh, it's going to be what, like dog in, bird in, cat in. But we also have to think about kind of morphological markers. And if you're an SLP, you understand that. Uh, you know, and think about that old research brown stages you know and we know that targeting something like a prepositional phrase for a kid this it might be a little ahead of where we are and so we wonder why isn't this child you know using cow in he's just not really or bird in or whatever we're doing he's just not really there developmentally with that phrase a lot of times it's that we pick something that's just we we think you know we're just a little bit ahead of where we should be and if you think back to brown stages you know we know that using in and on in a phrase, that that's going to come in after a child is two, more like 27 to 30 months, right? And so think about that as a therapist. Sometimes the child isn't imitating a particular phrase or using a construction. Again, it's just because he's not there yet. So really make sure that makes sense. So you might say something like, you know, use the, 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 uh, the constructions that we're trying to get here. So something, you know, uh, uh, something else, you know, you're going to use another kind of word there. So it might be, you know, push dog or, uh, uh, you know, big cat or anything like that. So be sure that you're looking at whatever the next kind of language construction should be and so that your targets actually make sense for where a child is with his or her language development. Now, another option uh, for puzzles is a toy like this one. I just love it. It's a new toy for me. It's the Melissa and Doug Barn Puzzle. And again, this is kind of shape sorter-esque. <laughs> maybe for kids who, uh, maybe you have a kid who likes shape sorters, but you just can't get them over that hump to like puzzles. And again, that, that might be a far-fetched example, but there's some kids out there like that, that they just are missing that next little step. I like this little... Uh, toy because it not only is it more like a shape sorter, more like a puzzle, but they've also got this great door so that you can just, you know, work on the whole in and out, which kids love to do, which is a primary activity for toddlers there. Um, remember we said that any 
any any time in toddlerhood, a predominant action that kids want to do during play is putting things in and taking them out. And so if you can't get a kid to play with puzzles or, and that's kind of hard, this is a great way to kind of start to target that. Now, most kids are going to opt for the door here because that's the easiest thing. But you can certainly show them uh, where the pieces are going to fit here and really teach them how to do that. And I think it's a, uh, a great way to kind of target this skill. And I can't even do it. There we go. <laughs> target this skill for kids who are having difficulty with that. But puzzles are a fantastic choice for speech therapy moving forward. And we're going to begin to talk about uh, using puzzles or continue to talk about puzzles here in this stage. We're going to continue it throughout the rest of this because I have some really cool puzzles to show you as we move through the rest of the stages of play. But simple puzzles here at this 19 to 24 month level, by 24 months, kids can do even more like those 6 to 10 piece of wooden inset puzzles but at the beginning of the stage keep it simpler with the three or four piece uh, puzzle options or a toy like this. Next, I want to show you this toy that I think every speech pathologist that I've, every video I've watched in the last couple of years has. Uh, it's Spike the Hedgehog, and it's a great fine motor toy. And again, this is a fabulous toy that if you are working with a child who has difficulty playing with toys because of his interests just aren't there yet or his cognitive skills and again just not there yet this is a great great toy that's kind of a transition toy that I've used with a lot of kids to help them learn how to use more pieces so this toy certainly has lots of pieces and remember what we said if we have a child who's having difficulty getting the pieces in let's say that you've had all the pieces in a container and you're having him do that and that's just not happening you should just right in the middle of that activity just stop go ahead and assemble the toy and let it, a child really use that as deconstruction if you've never used this before and you start to use it i promise you are going to love it it is a wonderful wonderful strategy for our little friends who for whom uh, play is just really really hard and they are not naturally assembling toys or playing in the anticipated way all right uh, let's talk about the language targets naturally what is any parent going to target or maybe any therapist too when they're working with this toy you're naturally going to talk about those colors and before a child is two we certainly want to expose them to colors so that they can learn those because it is a pre-academic skill and even a language skill that we want children to learn you know again as they're two but with our little friends who are late talkers we really need to emphasize functional vocabulary and so a child learning colors and numbers and shapes and letters just not all that important <laughs> when they're not using more functional words uh, during their everyday activities so think about other kinds of things that you can target here uh, i like to say you know like uh, we talked about a, a child using his own name so here you know his let's say his name is ben you know you you might even you know ben do or ben push or uh, you know, uh, whatever, whatever. And so again, that might be another target that you would do besides, you know, red in, green in, orange out, purple out. You know, that gets a little boring sometimes uh, for our little friends who, again, developmentally aren't there learning colors. So think about the other kinds of words that you can say. But this is a fantastic toy to target uh, fine motor development here at that 19 to 24 month level. I love this next little toy. It's a picnic basket. And again, and there's some there's some buttons you can use with some uh, little songs and music on here. But I tend not to use a lot of the buttons and a lot of the electronic 
uh, perks for a toy, especially in therapy, and I think that a child can do that when he or she would be playing on their own. But this is a great little toy. And again, I think about it as a transition toy for our little friends who, again, have been kind of stuck at the constructive level of play, and they really love shape sorters, and they're into that, but they're having difficulty moving on to uh, toys that, again, have more of the pretend component. So they'll be interested in this toy because they're something, you know, they can push the shapes in and out, but you also can introduce that next little step. And remember what else we said uh, for this stage is combining actions that they see their parents do. So certainly like food prep, you know, pretending to get this ready for the baby. And by that, I mean what? They're going to just put it on the plate. This toy comes with kind of a shape sorter little puzzle option uh, for the foods too. But certainly here, we want to get that pretending going. And remember we said that first kids pretend with themselves. So looking at this progression, they might pretend they're going to eat the little sandwich themselves. Mm -hmm. The next thing, if they're having trouble moving on to feed that baby doll, what did we say? We said that we want them to uh, include you as their uh, recipient of that play routine. So you try to get them to feed you. So you say things like, can I have a bite? Oh, give it to me. Or you might even model that where you're taking a bite. And then you're having them take a bite. And again, to really get that reciprocity going where they're turn taking with you. And if you pretend like you're going to take a drink. Then you give it to them, and they take a drink, and then hopefully they're going to take that little cup and do what? Try to put it back to your mouth. And so, again, even getting that turn-taking piece where you're just doing the same play routine over and over and over. That's what it takes for a lot of kids to really get that combination piece here where they're, uh, well, not so much combination, but using you as that other that other uh, play partner there in your play routine or even the combination where you're really, you know, um, this would be better with that smaller spoon, but where you're teaching them, oh, I'm going to stir here and then I'm going to give that baby a bite or give you a bite. Where again, you're, you are modeling those combinations uh, for them here in play. And remember, look at what, you know, just all kinds of variations. What can I pretend? I can pretend I'm going to pour. I can pretend I'm going to stir. I can pour this way. Oh my goodness, I put the food on the plate. Oh, I, t I put the food in the cup. You know, again, whatever your combination would happen to be there. And so be sure that you are focused on uh, teaching that. And this is a great little set that's, again, kind of a transition. You can move a kid who's been primarily interested in things like uh, shape sorters or putting things in or, or, again, that more constructive play, even taking it in and, and dumping it out. Help them move on to that next stage where they're including you or including a doll or a character uh, in their play, too. Let's talk about a few more ways to target combining when this is not coming as natural or as easily for a child as you would like it to. And then what do we always have to do when something is too hard? What do we say? We say we back up and we make it a lot easier. So instead of using toys like the previous picnic basket toy where we had a lot of different pieces, or if let's say with that toy that the child became super kind of obsessed with, I'm just going to put the pieces in and take it out that they can't move on to pretending to feed you or pretending to pour in the cup or uh, pretending to feed the baby doll. Make it simpler and use a toy where, again, the actions and the combinations are pretty obvious. So you're still having them put a toy in or take a toy out. But again, we've reduced it because we don't have as many options. And we, uh, again, we've made it simpler, which theoretically is going to make it easier for a child to be able to do. So just think about some really simple combinations you could do. It could just be, you know, 
making the boy walk and, you know, get up in the bus. Taking, putting a boy in the bus and then pushing the bus. And again, match your language with this. But when you have a kid who can't combine ideas, I want to encourage you to make sure that your language is also not overwhelming. And you want him focused on, if, if you're thinking, okay, I can't get him to phrases yet, that language piece, because he doesn't know how to how to do, how to join the actions in play or combine the actions in play or combine the toys. Don't add the language piece. Just focus on uh, the play skill first. So, you know, again, just those simple, simple things, you know. Or let's say we've started with all the people in the bus and we're... we're Watch me and I'll let you know when it's safe to cross. Let's say we're driving the bus. You know, our, our his actions might be driving the bus and then taking a person out and then driving the bus again and taking another person out. And again, don't add too many steps. Don't overwhelm him with language. Oh, Logan, you need to drive the bus to school and get all the kids out. Don't don't say all that. Just keep it super simple. Go, bus. Boy, out. You know, stop, bus. My girl, here's girl. You know, again, keep it simple with the with your language, too. Don't make it too complicated. Just think, how can I get this child to use these two toys together? And how can I get them to uh, get him to do kind of maybe what that next little thing is that would come? So think about that. Um, super simple combinations. What do you do if a child is just simply super obsessed with rolling the bus and he throws the people every time you know he never gets there i would say just keep at it keep gently modeling that and kind of you know, this would also be a thing where you might know this is just where we are we're back at stage four we're not ready to combine these toys yet but i'm going to keep trying i'm going to keep showing him not to the point that it makes him mad and it drives him away i'm going to keep giving him uh, more examples so again you just keep at it another thing that you might do is think what else can i do to make this toy more appealing and i know that you've already thought about this but if a kid likes music you're going to sing so Maybe, you know, singing wheels on the bus. Maybe demoing as we sing what's going on. You know, the door on the bus goes open and shut, open and shut, open and shut. And again, you're getting the kid to hang in there with you. You know, you're combining open and shut with maybe, you know, uh, the people are going up and down, up and down. And again, he might sit and listen to that and watch that and again have that aha moment where he starts to do that too because you've used music and because you've helped helped uh, him learn that skill with another preference that he already has. So let me show you a couple of more toys and, and again when I have a kid like this and I think we can't get to phrases. This is what I'm going to do for that whole therapy session is just work on these simple, simple ways to combine actions uh, in play. So let me show you another couple of toys that have worked really well to do that. So here I used this example when we were talking about how to join uh, ideas when we and join actions when we were first starting to talk about this at the beginning of the show. So I think a tractor with a trailer is a great option for here. Don't use a really small set. You want to make this obvious with kids. And so you might be looking at your tractor that you've you know, had with another barn set. But do everything you, uh, you can, again, to help a child learn that he's using two toys together in place so when he's got the tractor you immediately say oh where's the farmer or where's the daddy where's daddy daddy's in sit daddy sit sit down daddy 
And again, you've put him in that tractor and, and that's that's the combining. That's joining two toys together. And, you know, he, he tolerates that. He learns how to play with that. Um, other things you can do, you know, hooking the tractor uh, with the trailer. So help, show him how to get that trailer hooked on there. And I hope that you're going to do it better than I'm doing it here <laughs> now for the demo. Other simple actions, you know, again, putting uh, the chicken in and then pushing the trailer. Just any kind of simple combination that you can get him to do. Uh, a toy fire truck. And again, why am I showing toys that kind of look the same? Isn't this sort of the same as the bus? Absolutely, it's the same. And that's the point. You want to give children a lot of opportunities to practice and really master their ability to be able to join those two toys or at least tolerate you while you show them and while you model and you're playing with them and you're putting the fireman in there and you're pushing the truck and so you're showing them how to join those two things together that's what you do when you have a child who again is having that difficulty combining look at what he likes to do pick the simplest kinds of things that you can within his kind of range of what he'll tolerate and what he'll pay attention to to show him how to do that but these little vehicles and characters in vehicles with simple simple things to do that's the way to go when you're having a child who's having difficulty with that And let me wrap this up. I forgot to say this. What's your play goal? Why are we doing this? Why are we combining these two actions? It's so that we can get him there with words. And so until the child is able to use two toys together or uh, put uh, join two actions together, you know, first I'm going to put the man in and then I'm going to drive the tractor. Or first, you know, I'm going to take this chicken out and then make the chicken walk. Or, or whatever it happens to be. Until they can do those things non-verbally, they're not going to be able to do this verbally. So we have to teach kids how to, how to cognitively join these ideas together and we do this concretely first in play before we attempt to do it with words. Another great option for this stage of play is a toy with a gross motor component. So why is that? Because we know that children who are in their their last half of the year that they learn how to walk, and so again, for typically developing children 19 to 24 months, again, they are still obsessed with moving around while they play, and sit-down play may actually be harder for them because of that drive to move, move, move. So anytime we can incorporate a gross motor activity with play, uh, we know that we will probably have a better uh, chance of them sustaining that play and a better chance with attention. So this is a new toy that I found. It's called the Papa Balls Push and Pop Bulldozer, and I know it's going to be a hit. And remember here, we're not just walking around with toys. What was our main uh, goal? It's combining play action. So I love that this toy is, again, so motivating for that. A child can put the balls in, um, and the, the, as they push the scooper, watch what happens with the scooper. As they push the toy, it lifts and dumps it in and also shoots them out. So super, super way uh, to engage a child. And I haven't talked about this in this uh, course today, so let's talk about how to organize 
your sessions for children who do have those issues with needing to move. We call those little friends sensory seekers because they're busy kids who, again, their little systems drive them to be up and moving around rather than sitting down. So when we structure therapy for a child like this, I like to think about it as we're going to move and then we're going to sit and we're going to move and we're going to sit. So this might be the toy that we play with during the move uh, portion of that. We might also do a social game like chase or ringing around the rosies or something like that. But when we have lots and lots of sit-down activities for children like this, we often lose their attention. So if we can purposefully include uh, toy options for children so that they can naturally have those opportunities to move around, we'll see that their attention span increases not only for when they're able to get up and move around with a cool toy like this, but also then when they're able to sit down with you with that next sit-down toy. And then when they tire of that, you finish that toy or a toy or two in a row, then think about, I'm going to get up and move around again. So again, super, super cute toy uh, for this kind of thing. We also reviewed some other uh, toys like that back in stage four. We had those vacuums that we looked at, or even back in stage three when we had toys that we uh, were teaching means to an end, and we had the string toys that we could pull. Those are fantastic options to pull back out <laughs> and use for your little friends who can't sit down with you for more than five minutes or so. And again, that's kind of developmentally appropriate for where they are for this stage in development, even if they're much older. Think about that as you're planning this, and even as you're thinking, oh, we're really going to, you know, just hone in on these play skills. Think I'm still going to need to give him some opportunities to get up and move around so that he can have better attention. So this is a fantastic uh, toy for that. It's a new toy for me. I can't wait to use it. So I hope that it's going to be good, not only for you, but for me too. <laughs> now let's take some time and look at some toys with lots of opportunities for combining. Let's say that you've gotten a child through uh, the stages that we've talked about with some simpler toys and now he or she is ready to move on and do lots of other things. Baby doll sets are a wonderful option not only for little girls but for little boys too. They give you so many opportunities for learning to use two related toys together, for learning to combine familiar play actions, not only with what a child might do, but also for including those activities that he sees another familiar person do, which is what we're focused on here in this stage. So super, super, super uh, good toy for lots of opportunities uh, here. So let's talk about this. Can you buy some pre-packaged baby doll sets? Of course you can. I got many of these pieces. I think uh, this was a Dollar General set and it was just the little, I think it just came with the diapers and maybe the bottles, but you can go ahead and add to it. And this is a great idea for your families that uh, don't have a lot of resources. And I always think, well, if they have a doll for a kid, I can help that mom make a baby doll set. So even go in the kitchen and just get, you know, let's say to mom, let's, let's just come up with your own little set for working on this here with the, here with your child. And you're going to be able to put all these toys together. And then let's talk about how you can use these toys. And then you always say what your goal is. You say, you know, we're helping her learn how to use these actions together and learn how to use these toys together so that she can join these ideas because we want her to understand how to join words and make longer and longer sentences. So she 
she can talk better and better. And so parents understand that, but you've got to explain that not just one time, but keep explaining it and keep really, you know, driving your message home with what your goals are for this stage. So back to my point about assembling a baby doll set. So get help them find just some kind of little bag. And, you know, again, don't be shy about this. Just say, you know, I want to help you put this together so that you can use this in your own one-on-one playtime with your child this week. And when you're thinking about your, your, you know, mommy therapy time or your speech therapy time here at home, this is what I want y'all to focus on this week. And gather those toys. Go with them and say, you know, let, can we find a little hairbrush? Can we find a bowl? Can we get a little spoon? And parents then become kind of excited and take some ownership about putting this kind of thing together so that they have a little therapy kit uh, to play with their child. And again, not every parent's going to get super excited about this, but I found that most of them do because you're showing them how to use their own resources and help them know what to do when you are not there (laughs) to help work on play and language development with their child. And so again, help them assemble a baby doll set. The things that I typically say, and I think I have this written on your handout, but a cup, a bowl, a spoon, a bottle, if you have it, a hairbrush, a toothbrush, a blanket, a diaper, if you know, even their own child's diaper, even if it's a lot bigger than the baby doll, who cares? You know, that's hysterical for a toddler. You can model how to get it on there and then certainly how to take it off. They're going to think that's a lot of fun. Even things like including real lotion or band-aids, you know, something that again would capture a child's attention and you want them just to stay with you for longer and longer periods of time so that you can work on these play skills and as well as their language. So remember what we said our primary strategy is, it's always what? Adult modeling. <laughs> so you are going to show them how to play. So you're going to actually sit down with them and play with the baby doll and talk about it. You know, so you're going to say something like, oh, your baby's so thirsty. Look, I can't get the top off. Look, here's her bottle. Oh, baby, drink, baby. And you show them, you know, and you're, you're modeling the whole time, you know, <laughs> It's so good. Oh, baby. Baby drinks. And whatever your language level is, and conceivably here at stage five, we're talking about phrases. So you just continue to model as many phrases as you can within that play routine so that (laughs) the child will begin to imitate those phrases and then self-generate those phrases too. So super, super way to work on using two related toys together to work on uh, sequencing uh, one familiar action with another familiar action and certainly also to work on including another person or object as a passive recipient. Now don't forget what I said about if a kid can't use a baby doll, what should you do? You get the child to have you as the passive recipient in place. So let's say that a child just isn't interested in this at all. What kinds of things can you do? We talked about this back in the previous shows with our Pretend With Me backpacks. You take out those items one at a time and you show a child what to do with it. You say, you know, oh, scrubby, that's for washing. I wash, wash arm, wash face, wash leg. And again, you model that and then you hand it to the child for him to have an opportunity to do those things too and you narrate his play using those uh what again whatever language level he's at and again here it's phrases you do that with him and then what do you do you encourage him to use that on you so as he's washing then you stick your arm out and you say wash me my arm my arm wash mine 
Look, look, see? Wash, 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 wash Laura, Laura's arm. And you, again, model that, model the right language level and model that action. So it's a super, super way to get that going. And let me mention one more thing. We talked about uh, how great that little poppin' bulldozer was. Don't, uh, for a gross motor, for a gross motor toy to kind of combine and get a kid hooked in with that. I've had great luck here with baby doll strollers or a baby doll high chair or a baby doll bed where there's another accessory and we're helping a child make that leap to combining with a bigger life-size or realistic lifelike prop so uh, you put the baby doll in the stroller and then have him push the baby doll that's so so fun for a kid who again is that 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 stage where he has that developmental drive to move that's a great way to include it all right i have one more toy i want to show you to talk about and that's coming up next now I want to show you one more toy that you can use here at this developmental uh, range and for all the next age ranges or stages to come because it's super, super fun for kids, again, who are, who are toddlers or preschoolers. So this is called Counting Surprise Party. I don't know if you can see all my little... Uh, boxes here. I'm not sure about the shot if you can see all those, but these are just little boxes that look like gifts or presents, and then you open them, and there's a small toy inside. Now, naturally, let me go ahead and give the precautionary word that if you have children who are still mouthing a lot of objects, you are naturally not going to use this toy without hands-on, constant adult supervision, because some of these toys probably are a choke hazard, but it's a super fun uh, super fun way for kids to name lots of things and again for our late talkers we're working on phrases, but for lots of kids who are in this range, and again, uh, uh, we're talking about our little friends with language delays here, they're still going to be doing lots and lots of naming and lots and lots of learning new words. So a super, super uh, way to keep them uh, in involved in this kind of task. It is just fantastic for kids who, again, uh, who are learning to name. So this is my replacement toy for my ancient Tupperware blocks. I wanted to try to find one of those today, but I I've had those toys for so long, I can't even find them. But this is a great, great replacement for this kind of thing. Now, with children beyond naming uh, the single items that are in here, and there's a big variety. This is a learning resources toy, and I think they've done such a nice job with that. You know, there's a teapot, and there's some simpler things like kitty cat, you know, other animals. Um, you can also, for our little friends who are gestalt language learners, you can also use uh, this kind of thing for kids, again, to start to get them to talk. And with our little friends like that, if we are not using their carrier phrases or, again, their, their little... Uh, their little preferred patterns there. Sometimes we don't hear a lot of words. You know, you, you're naming teapot, cat, frog, or dinosaur. I'm sorry, dinosaur. But then you start to use... Uh, a little holistic phrase like it's a dinosaur, it's a cat, it's a teapot. You'll start to hear them, those kinds of kids use a lot more language because you met them where they are and you've used their language learning preference, which is what? A chunk. <laughs> and you're helping them learn how to interchange, take some of those words out and put a new word in. So super, super way to do that. And again, uh, use your voice to build anticipation. If you have a kid that's not a great confrontation namer, you know, even just a 
child with that's not on the spectrum, who's not a gestalt language learner, even just a child who, again, maybe a, a child with markers for apraxia, and they almost need kind of a, a lead-in to get that word going. It's a super, super way to do it. You can build anticipation with your voice. You can say something like, oh, what's that? Listen, listen, listen. What's that? Let's open, open, open the box. <gasps> it's a robot. And again, sometimes you don't even have to do the, the filling in. You know, you're doing a fill in the blank there, uh, a verbal routine where you're starting the it's a, and you've given them kind of that running start, and then they are able to fill in with that last word. But to open the box and say, what's that? You know, you're going to be... Uh, it's going to be harder for them. They don't do not respond with the same level uh, of uh, participation, the same consistency as when you set them up and kind of give them that anchor phrase to sort of get them going. So I love this therapy activity. Now, if you think I do not want to uh, buy that particular toy, this is a great idea, but what can I do? I've seen these little boxes like this just at a Dollar Tree, you know, through Christmas. And so make your own little sets, but find something like this because I think it's a super, super way to practice naming for kids who are kind of still at that single word level. You can certainly continue to target phrases with this, you know, which is what we're supposed to be targeting here at Stage 5. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, you can you can... Uh, continue to uh, set those up too. Most like talkers are naturally uh, going to begin to include uh, words that they already use in phrases before they use new words. So think about that. We target new words as single words, and then we target phrases using those existing words from a child's vocabulary. So that's another uh, thing that I wanted to make sure that we mentioned. One more thing that I forgot to mention when we were talking about, I think back at the baby dolls, is I wanted to talk a little bit about when we're using phrases to be really, really careful that we don't, as speech language pathologists, fall into telegraphic speech. And so what is telegraphic speech? It's where we continuously model grammatically incorrect phrases just to try to get the two-word phrase. And so, again, it sounds a little bit unnatural. Instead of saying, um, like with our baby, you know, the baby is cold, we say something like baby cold or cold baby, and that's okay. And that's certainly what a child is going to say when he's at the phrase level. But as adult models, it's not evidence-based practice to leave out all the little words. So be sure that you're thinking about that as a therapist, even if you, again, are driving those phrases home. We always, and you're constantly modeling those two-word phrases, we always want to think about what the research is telling us. So we know that it's going to be harder for our little friends, especially those who are on the spectrum, who are just all language learners or echolalic, if you're still kind of thinking about it like that. We'll go ahead and use use those uh, cor correct grammar, uh, use our articles like the, use our, our auxiliary verbs like is. We're, we're going to do that child uh, more, uh, it's just more of a benefit to not use telegraphic speech all the time. It's going to be harder for them to make that leap to more adult-like language if they we've only focused on telegraphic speech. So be careful of that. And I think sometimes we get stuck with that, especially here uh, when we're really thinking about modeling phrases. That happens a lot. So I just wanted to mention that just to be sure that we're current and always looking at evidence-based practice. All right, that is it for today for this show for Stage 5. 
Be sure that you are looking. If you want to look at some of these toys a little further or purchase some of these toys, I have the links below right here on YouTube. If you are listening to this podcast on your podcast app, you can find out the list for toys by finding the video on YouTube uh, with our channel at Teach Me to Talk or by going to my website. Now, this is show number 470 if you want to get credit for that. And again, you can just go to my website at Teach Me to Talk and type in show 470 in the teeny tiny tiny little search bar at the top and you can find out that information or go to the ASHA credit uh, big banner that's right there on the home page. All right, if you need more ideas for working with children who are language delayed and you need some real resources, I'm going to take just a minute to introduce you to my therapy manuals where you can find step-by-step instructions for working with all kinds of late talkers. My first manual is this one. It's my newest book. I'm so excited about it. It's the late talker work book and you'll find three evidence-based approaches or plans for working with a late talker and this is primarily for children who are already two years old and for children who can imitate that's who um that's that's who plan a is directed for in this book but if you are a therapist working with parents and doing lots of caregiver training and you need some help with that plan b in this workbook is full of tools for you and if you are a parent just working with your child at home and you think i need something more therapy like i need step-by-step instructions i want somebody to tell me exactly how to do it this is your tool for that so it's called the late talker workbook and you can find that link right there below if you're working with a child or parenting a child who has autism and you want a comprehensive plan for again helping you know what to do first what to look at second what's going to come next for you you want some real guidance for helping you decide exactly what skills to work on at home or in therapy the autism workbook walks you through a 12 focus plan that will help you dive in and determine exactly what a child with autism or markers for autism is missing and then lots and lots of directions and activities to help you teach that skill and help that child master whatever that difference has been that's helping him not be able to communicate so great great tool there teach me to play with you is a fantastic starting point if you are working with a late talker who again is not very engaged with you you try to do these toys they're just not there yet back up and work on social games so teach me to play with you outlines those social games and also walks through beginning toys and how to really work on that interaction piece so that a child becomes more communicative with just by staying with you and by learning to do his part so super super resource for you and then lastly i want to mention what's probably my favorite resource i have it teach me to talk for children who are not talking and when it is just still a mystery to you as to what's going on with this kid let's talk about talking walks through the 11 pre-linguistic skills that all toddlers master when they are learning to use words and so you can take this checklist and figure out oh my child does this and my child does this but he does not do this yet and then there's a whole chapter of guidance and instruction to help you teach your child how to master that skill and again these 11 things are 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 things that all children learn before they begin to use words so if you have a kid who's stuck that you think i just don't know what to do next 
get yourself a copy of Let's Talk About Talking, and I know that's going to help you. All right, that's all for today for Stage 5. I can't wait for Stage 6 because then we start to get to the really cool toys. So I hope that you'll uh, join me for that next show in our series. But that's all for today. I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologist, and thanks so much for watching and participating in Teach Me to Talk's podcast. Thank you.